0: We're gonna talk about perfectionism. And I know that many people ask me about perfectionism in their kids, the child who only wants to get 100% on their test, the child who rips up their coloring when it's not perfect. Let's talk about our perfectionism as parents. How does that tone get set in our families? And perhaps most importantly, what can we do to make sure that we catch and interrupt those patterns before they take hold? perfectionism. It's a torture chamber. Let's get out of it.
1: Welcome to Fluster Clucks, where we talk worry and other big feelings with Lynn Lyons. You're here because your family has some anxiety issues or you want to prevent them. I'm your co-host and Lynn's sister-in-law, Robin, and I'm here to
0: ask your questions. Hi, I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author. I've been a therapist for 30 years. Parenting can be a fluster clucks, and I'll help you find your way. So Lynn, I have been really thinking about the last few episodes.
1: I feel like they've been super powerful, enabling me to understand your work and your message on a new level. And the emotional vaccine series that we started the new year with of how do you really have a parenting culture at home that will really help your kids. We talk about Mr. Rogers a lot. And when the Mr. Rogers movie starring Tom Hanks came out about a year ago, Mm -hmm. I remember thinking it wasn't a family friendly film. Hmm. But then I was thinking about everything we talked about in the last six weeks or so. And I said, I can't think of a more family appropriate film. Because the protagonist in the film, Matt Rice, is going through a lot of family struggles. There's a scene of family violence. There's a lot of pain in the film. And I, and I just really had this powerful aha moment that over a year ago, I was like, Oh, I don't want my kids to see something like that. And now I'm like, Of course, what is a better way to introduce family conflict? than to have Fred Rogers himself show the impact Mm -hmm. of emotional literacy and emotional management and authenticity and connection and how it can completely shift a family culture. So I started it with my kids. So then my husband, who's your brother, said, wait, you guys are all watching the Tom Hanks movie? And I said, yeah. And I shared with him what, what I just said. So we watched it as a family. My kids were really engaged in it. You know how I keep saying to you, there are so many toxic aspects of our parenting culture that are really kind of creating the problems that we're seeing. Mm -hmm. I found myself saying when I was defending my choice to show it is that when you and I were growing up in the 70s, we had to watch a lot of different TV shows that weren't necessarily targeted at children. But one of the things that's happened in the last 20 years is so much entertainment is so targeted for children with laugh tracks and sterile environments and not a lot of authentic negative emotion, which I think is a detriment.
0: Not a lot of authentic emotion in general. My kids are older now, but if I think about the shows that were on Nickelodeon or those these like teenage shows, like even Saved by the Bell, right? It was all this fake sort of, like you say, like laugh tracky. I'm thinking about the shows that I watched, like Little House in the Prairie, dealt with some serious, serious stuff. And we moved away from that as a culture. Yeah.
1: Because I think so many parents, and I think of my own peer group, mm-hmm. to be a good parent in air quotes is so much about filtering all these things from your kids. And I don't know where we got hijacked in that direction,
0: but we got to stop. It's about protection. So then we think, okay, so we've got this overprotection culture. So it's filtering, it's overprotecting, it's being really worried that you're going to emotionally scar your kids. And here's the irony, by not exposing kids to difficult things and watching other people go through them, right? So Little House on the Prairie, how much did you learn about bullying? How much did we recognize Nellie Olson as the the original mean girl? How much did we learn about death and about sadness? All these shows that we were exposed to and even movies, right? I think that we have put together these two things. And one is emotionally protecting our children. And that is incompatible with emotional management and emotional literacy, because you don't learn how to manage your emotions until you actually experience them. And watching people go through them, having Mr. Rogers sort of walk you through it, that's what Mr. Rogers did in his show all the time anyway. He brought up all of those big, difficult topics. If anyone has been a regular listener to this podcast and saw that movie
1: a year ago, I really encourage you to rewatch the film because although I saw it I think twice when it came out, seeing it just this past week with feeling so much more informed. It was really, really powerful. What a brilliant movie it was. Mm -hmm. And my favorite, my favorite scene on watching it the third time There's this scene where after Matthew Rice, I think he might be visiting the Mr. Rogers set a second time. And he comes in with this very New York blase. He comes in as this very jaded, injured adult who's Mm -hmm. ready to belittle Fred Rogers. And he's got a lot of stuff in his own life happening. And you watch him come in a second time and watch the interaction of uh, Fred Rogers on the set talking about emotions And you just see in his face this connection he's recognized of, this is about me. Yeah. This is
0: not something to belittle, but because it's about everyone. If you think about vulnerability, remember the episode we talked about your emotional baggage and and what you bring into parenting. I grew up with Mr. Rogers because that's my age. Think about all the parents that were watching Mr. Rogers with their kids, that he was talking to them too. When we're talking about those Nickelodeon shows, shows where they get slimed, you know, I mean, there's a ton of them. Compared to just the sincerity and the authenticity, just the emotional communication that went on, even with shows like Sesame Street and with Mr. Rogers, but those shows where these characters, these people, these Muppets were talking in genuine ways about human emotions. I think that what's happened with this current parenting style is that you're right, that we're really afraid to talk to kids about genuine emotions. We're afraid to let them feel things. We're afraid to expose them to strong, powerful emotions, and they show up anyway, and then parents don't have the language or the ability to talk their kids through them because they just haven't practiced
1: I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with my friends where we talk about shows or movies that we enjoyed in our own childhood or adolescence, where I have even uttered the phrase, I'm not sure I'm ready to show them that yet. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're ready for that yet. Mm -hmm. That is, to me, actually relevant to the big topic that we're going to be playing today, which is I'm going to curate this perfect emotional path that is protecting my child from Mm -hmm. bad things Mm -hmm. and how in fact it's so misguided because it's only going to backfire. Yeah.
0: The thing about emotions is that if say you think, well, what is my child capable of handling developmentally? Okay. So maybe you don't show them, but emotional things happen to kids at all ages. People die. People get sick. They experience loss. They experience Disappointment. They experience heartbreak. They experience rejection. And so this idea that we're going to protect them from all these experiences until what age, right? Till they're in middle school, till they're in high school. And as we're talking about perfectionism, as we're talking about how we have to make sure that everything goes a certain way, remember the quality of perfectionism, which is the quality that overrides all of the anxiety disorders is rigidity and making sure that everything goes as planned. And that's why that, that assignment that I give to families all the time, I want you to talk about the unexpected thing that happened to you today and how did you handle it. And just give them room to talk about the roller coaster that is life and all the different emotions that they feel rather than stepping in. You know, think of all the things that parents do to step in and make sure that those that, that their kids don't feel badly. Now, of course, we don't say like, all right, so let's set up this practice session so they get their heart broken so they can do it, right? It's not like we're going to put them in emotional distress camp, although I can imagine that being a thing. The thing... <laughs> <laughs> the thing, the thing we want to do is we want to, we want to be ready for when the stuff shows up. I mean, I think that's organically, organically. Right. And, and as parents, we need to be ready to handle it when it shows up. And if you don't know how to manage that yourself, you're not going to be able to do it with your kids. How do you talk your kids through a really difficult emotion, a really difficult experience if you yourself don't know how to talk it through? Right, That's where the emotional literacy comes in and being able to be uncomfortable with these conversations. I always say, I I was just talking to a, a teenager recently that had to go and talk to their boss about something. And I said, here's the deal. This is an awkward conversation. The reason we call it an awkward conversation is because you're going to feel awkward. So before you go and have this conversation, you're going to feel nervous, put on a little extra deodorant, your hands are probably going to be shaking a little bit. You're supposed to feel awkward during difficult conversations. It was like I had offered her this, this like pearl of wisdom from, from the mountaintop. She was like, you're right. Nobody had told her that.
1: So the perfectionism episode we're about to recast because Lynn and I are taking a little bit of a winter break. and we So we talked about it in the context of making a perfect Christmas in light of COVID and wanting everything to be perfect. But I really encourage people to listen to the episode on a child who suffers from extreme shame and how a parent modeled perfectionism in the household and how that became an all-or-nothing attitude starting to do Mm self-harm. So perfectionism, as you can speak to, is so much bigger than what people think it is.
0: Because we think of it as visual. Like when we think perfectionism, you think visual. That's the first sense. But there is a huge amount of perfectionism that happens internally, and it takes over a lot of things that aren't visual and even thinking about perfection in terms of disconnection, that when you are in your head internally going over things because you want to make sure you don't make a mistake, you want to make sure that it's perfect, you want to make sure that you're staying ahead of things, that you're not missing anything, it makes you very unavailable to your kids as a parent and it shuts kids' learning down. It absolutely does. Yeah, it shows up in so many ways and this is something that I really have to talk with schools about a lot because they, they don't get this. They don't get the way that this thing shows up. And oftentimes the things they do are actually serving the perfectionism, which I know I've talked about before. Right. So yeah, it's really broadening your scope of how do we define perfectionism. It's not just having visually perfect things, a perfect house, a perfect outfit, a perfect Christmas tree. It's this fear of making a mistake and this internal sense of yourself that you have to be perfect or else. It's crippling. It's an all or nothing thing. Why bother? Well, enjoy this episode
1: and make sure that you register for the second live anxiety audit. That's going to be March 6th. It'll be our last one. The first one sold out. So this one will too. And
0: the link is in the show notes. So ironically, we're going to talk about perfectionism today. And Robin and I have just spent about five minutes trying to make sure that our sound for the podcast is perfect. (laughs) Guilty. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard. Yeah, because this idea of perfectionism, it's so rewarded and it's even expected and there's so much judgment wrapped up in it, right? How other people are viewing you, how they're viewing your parenting, it really encompasses so much of what we have to deal with in our families and in our parenting and in ourselves. And it's certainly something that comes up a lot in my practice in You know, dealing with anxious families and and that kind of stuff. So, I think oftentimes I get asked, Can you help me? My daughter suffers from perfectionism, or I think, you know, my daughter needs her homework to be so perfect, or my son won't do anything unless he thinks he can do it perfectly. But I think before we even venture into the kid world of perfectionism, I think it's really helpful to talk about how hard it is for us as parents how hard it is for us as adults to cope with this in our world.
1: You know, sometimes people wait until something bad happens to talk to a therapist. But why wait? Therapy can help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in difficult times, and feel grounded in your personal relationships. So getting started is the important part. Talkspace makes it easy and affordable.
0: With Talkspace, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist
1: from the comfort of your home, your car, your office. There's no need to commute to appointments and miss time at work or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health
0: care made easy. That's right. And it's secure and private. They use the latest end-to-end bank grade encryption technology to store client information, complying with the latest HIPAA regulations. Remember, Talkspace is affordable and it's in network with most major insurers. As a listener of this podcast,
1: you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com
0: slash Fluster. To match with your licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. Dot .com
1: when you talk about perfectionism what just jumps to my mind is like you said we're so rewarded for trying to create perfection or create the image of perfection and just we've talked about this a lot of how an image doesn't reveal the full truth and there's a lot of challenging energy and a lot of control and anxiety needs that come out that affect a child when a mom wants her house perfect, a mom wants everyone to look perfect. I grew up in the South with a mom who never left the house without makeup on. She had mm. perfection issues around her appearance. And I know a lot of women grow up with mothers who pass that restrictive sense of self and worth just in the simplicity of that. It pervades everything. I think there's like very few moms who can't, if they're honest with themselves, they recognize they're going to have these patterns in certain parts of their lives.
0: It's really- really hard to let go of. And, you know, when we step back from it, we recognize it. It's funny during the pandemic, all of us not being able to go and get our hair colored as much as we normally would and how uncomfortable that made us. Why are we so intrigued? You know, you see the cover of the People magazine that says stars without makeup or pictures of stars or famous Hollywood people caught in bathing suits when they don't look good. We're so craving this idea that we both want to be perfect, we want to look perfect, but at the same time, it's so comforting when you walk into somebody's house and it's messy. You run into somebody and they don't have, you know, their roots are showing. It's sort of like, oh, thank God, you too. So we really have this internal struggle, don't we? We want to be connected in our imperfection. And perfection really puts up kind of a barrier, doesn't it? Because if you are parenting in a perfect way, or you think you're parenting in a perfect way that your house has to look perfect, that your children have to look perfect, it's sort of like opening the closet door and everything falls out. You've got to be really careful that you keep the closet door closed, which means that you're really careful about what you let people know about you, what you let them know about your family, this whole idea of sort of showing all of what's going on. That's what connects us perfection really puts a distance between people. And I see that a lot. If you're talking about the home, and then when
1: someone allows you to come home when the house isn't perfect, and you walk in and you recognize, oh, I'm a closer friend, they're letting me see their normal daily life. It's a compliment in a way. And yet we torture ourselves in order to create good impressions that are sometimes false impressions of projecting an image for someone to get to know instead of ourselves.
0: If you are with a close friend, or say you're having people over for dinner, I remember seeing an article recently about sort of the the casual have friends over for dinner, which you know this was remember when we used to be able to have friends over for dinner. But it was this idea that planning a dinner party and making sure that your house is perfect and that your menu is perfect. I'm not going to do that. I don't have the time to do that, nor the desire to do that. My schedule is pretty busy. The times when I've had people over for dinner, because I'm not so great at that anyway, it's like a full day of me figuring out how to pull this thing off. Whereas this idea that you can just gather with people and everybody brings something to eat and share. I think that's when we think of our social interactions, when we think of our relationships, I think that this needing everything to be a certain way. I just can't do the perfect dinner. I can't do the perfect birthday party. I'm just not going to do it. And being able to be more open and real and vulnerable, I think allows us to connect to people.
1: I remember reading a book before I got married, and it was talking about, I think it was called The Conscious Bride. It's still in print. But the one thing that the the book said that stuck with me that proved to be absolutely true is that what you didn't plan and what you didn't expect at your wedding will be one of your most cherished memories and Mm -hmm. moments. And so I think that that's why if we all had more of a a comfort with embracing the imperfection and allowing, they call them un dinner parties. And so I I throw a lot Mm. of un-dinner parties. So it's just like, you don't even cook. You're like, we're going to order pizza and, you know, and I'm going to toss a salad that comes in a pre-made bag. But the point is, I care about connecting with you so much this Friday night with your family that come as you are, right? It's the ultimate, it's the ultimate compliment. To be a part of someone's under party circuit.
0: Well, and I, I also think that that you know when we're talking about perfection, I want to make a distinction between having to be perfect and also knowing where your strengths and your skills are, because I think that that there's a fine line between doing the things you do really well and sharing them with others, and then stepping over into that perfection place, because. Like if I take my mom, for example, like we can show up at her house, she can make a meal that is unbelievably delicious, and that she didn't really have a menu planned a lot of the times, but she's just so good at creatively cooking. And I don't get the sense from her that she has to create things perfectly. She's just really, really good at it. When we think about perfectionism, it's the need to be perfect. It's that rigidity. It's the way other people will judge us. But you're allowed to share your skills. Like if you're really good at throwing a great birthday party and you don't venture into that perfectionistic place because that's where the anxiety is, that's where the that's where the struggle is. But you just say, I'm really good at doing this, and I love to I love to bake cakes or I love to decorate for Christmas or whatever, then go ahead and do it. It's not like you can't show off your skills in an amazing way. Perfectionism is is not about you being successful and skilled and enjoying your talents. Perfectionism steps in to say, never good enough. I think that's the important thing about perfectionism, is that its standard is higher than you can possibly achieve, and it's always waiting to be critical. It's always waiting to, to, to say, well, I mean, okay, but you could have done that. That's the perfectionism part.
1: Is there also an element of control where it has to be just so? That's also perfectionism, isn't it? Or would you call that something else?
0: No, perfectionism, it's sort of, you know, when, when it ventures into that world of obsessive compulsive disorder, of OCD, there's symmetry going on, there's cleanliness, there's organization There's things need to be perfect in appearance. So anything from the throw that you throw over the couch has to be symmetrically laid over the back of the couch, that there can never be a speck of anything in the kitchen sink. It always has to be shiny, that no matter how much you clean, you have to clean more. That's when it gets to that place where it becomes really a problem. And think about that if you live in a house like that. If you live in a house where the standard is everything has to be perfect, then you've got no room to do much of anything at all. It becomes really hard to be a child in that house. It becomes hard to be a spouse in that house. And for the person who's, who's sort of held hostage by this, this is why it's so helpful to externalize it, right? So you know how I talk about anxiety being the cult leader. If we externalize that, that perfection part of you, you yourself are being held hostage by that. For somebody who has an eating disorder, for somebody who has to keep their house immaculate at all times, for somebody who can't start a project because they, they can't do it unless they know it's going to be perfect, they're being held hostage as well.
1: How many parents come to see you, but their perfectionism prevents them from admitting that they have issues around anxiety or depression in their family, right? Like they're there, they know they need help, and yet there's still that struggle that they don't want to admit it. Do you see that?
0: Yes, for sure. But because I require parents to come, particularly at the beginning and as i've said with with older kids and teenagery kids they often can come a little bit by themselves so i require both parents to come if at all possible even if they're no longer married and so there's a lot of blaming that goes on as you can imagine particularly if the parents are no longer married but there might be one parent who sees it much more clearly than the other and that's you know we talked about the marital snort but that's that's where there can be some conflict of sort of I'm not gonna I I, I don't want to show you the imperfection here, but I would probably say honestly more often than not by the time people get to see me, that there is sort of a sense of relief is that they can they can in my office kind of let it all hang out, and I really try and support um, an environment in which you know we can talk about what's really going on. And many times for families that are trapped in this perfectionism and they've been really trying to hide things or, you know, they're not letting their neighbors know. They're not even letting their own family members know. They're not talking to the school about what's going on. Sometimes it comes out in a torrent once they get in here because it is so exhausting to keep up this front. That happens more often, actually. I think we have to be aware of the fact that our culture rewards excellence. It rewards perfection. We talk a good game, and I find this a lot with families, and I find it a lot in schools, is that we talk a good game of whatever makes you happy. Here's the phrase that is so tricky. As long as you know you've done your best, right? So that sounds pretty good, and it seems like we're giving them all this room That is a really provocative thing to say, particularly if you are a family of perfectionists, if you are a family of people who achieve at high levels, to say to your child, as long as you know you've done your best, absolutely throws them into a tailspin. If you say that to a kid who doesn't really care, they're like, yeah, sure, whatever. You say that to a child who tends to be perfectionistic, who has doubts about whether or not they're doing a good enough job it is really setting them up for an enormous amount of struggle. And one of the things that people don't know about perfectionism is that perfectionism and procrastination hang out together all the time. You're not going to take something on. If your perfectionistic part is sitting there guiding what's going to happen next, you're not going to start. It's going to be so exhausting. If you have to clean your closet and it has to be perfect, if you have to write a paper and it has to be perfect, if you have to read a book and it has to be perfect, you have to read every word perfectly, you're just not going to do it. So a lot of times people don't recognize that. I, I talk to families where they say, she just won't get started, or she's such a procrastinator, or we can never get her to do anything. And then I dig a little bit more and it's a highly perfectionistic family. And that child is just afraid to venture in because the task just seems impossible and the goal just seems unachievable.
1: If you have a child who starts showing that I'm just not quite done. Let me just go back and mm-hmm. tweak this drawing or the story needs another edit. What's the right language to use around them when you see habits of wanting to, to make things just so? What do you say?
0: The earlier you see that and the earlier you address that, the better. So it may, it often comes up with even when they're little and they're coloring and, or they're trying to draw a bird and they'll rip it up and throw it out, or it's not good enough. And like you say, you see them starting over. It, say they're doing, their math and it's four plus four, well, they get the number eight, but they keep erasing it and making the eight again. So it's not really the answer. It's that the circles have to be symmetrical. That's a pretty good warning sign for you that you want to address this. And the language you want to use is you want to say, it looks like there's a part of you that doesn't feel comfortable unless this is perfect. And it's really important for us to know the difference between times when it really is okay for it to be good enough and times when we have to pay more attention to it. You start giving examples. So you say, for example, I like you to make your bed in the morning But there are a lot of different ways to make the bed. And some days it's going to be made a little bit like this way. And some days it's going to be made a little bit that way. But nobody really is going to be judging you on how perfectly you make your bed. And remember, mom and dad, if you are showing them and telling them that they have to make their bed perfectly, you got to do a little self-examination there because that's modeling this perfectionistic behavior. But then you might say, well, when is a time when we really do want to pay extra attention to something? You know, so, you know, the example I often give, which not going to be applicable to little kids, but. If you're trying to address a fancy wedding invitation, say that's even your job, you're a calligrapher that does wedding invitations, you can't make a mistake and then cross it out with your pen and start over. There's a lot of gradations, right? So when something really can be messy, we, we've talked about that, right? Like if you're baking and you get flour on the floor, when you're doing your math homework, you're, the circles of your eight don't have to be symmetrical. When you're, you show your kids, look, I'm making a to-do list today, so I'm just writing things down in my handwriting doesn't have to be perfect. Or when I'm going to the grocery store, you know, my hair doesn't have to be perfect, my makeup doesn't have to be perfect. And then there are times when it's important to pay attention to the details. And even having a conversation with your kids about what are some jobs in which in parts of the job in which the details are really important And what are some situations in which the specifics or the details are less important? Begin to show them that there is a range and that even in jobs where we think of people needing to be perfect, that there is flexibility because there are so many ways where you can get trapped in thinking that things have to be one certain way. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to miss things. It's okay to send an email with a typo in it. Everybody understands that happens. One time we made, this is memorable. You know, you said uh, you're having a, a, a wedding and what goes wrong is memorable. Robin, we made a chocolate cake. My husband actually made the chocolate cake and we were out of regular milk. So he just used almond milk. It's now what's referred to as the fart cake because for some reason when he when he baked the cake the way that the almond milk cooked, it had like this really sulfury smell. So we all sat down to have cake and everybody was being very polite and not wondering who was farting at the table. And then we realized the cake smelled like farts. We will always remember that. It was certainly not the perfect cake. But you know it's a fart cake, so we've got that story too. When my sister-in-law on the other side of the family got married, two of the shoes arrived on wedding day that were dyed to match the bridesmaid's dress, and it was two left shoes for one of the bridesmaids. She had two left (laughs) shoes. Yeah, so I remember that too. And we had to figure it out. And so being able to collect those stories, being able to show your kids, and I am saying show with particular emphasis... Show your kids that it's okay to back off sometimes. There are times when you need to do things in a more specific way, but that perfection is a myth, it's a trap, and it's a torture chamber if you get locked up in it. Let me give you two examples of how in, in this holiday realm, perfectionism is in the way of connection. I was talking to a family, but one of the things as we were talking about perfectionism, and I was asking them, can you think of a time where perfectionism has showed up in your family? And the goal was to make something really wonderful, and it turned into something really awful. And they were telling me a story about decorating the Christmas tree. The mom had a very specific way that she wanted to decorate the Christmas tree, everything had to be symmetrical. And the children were to sit and watch the mom decorate the Christmas tree. And these kids were telling me, we know that there are other families and they they would see, you know, like Norman Rockwell pictures where kids were putting up ornaments on the tree, or they would make an ornament at school, but it wasn't allowed to be put on the tree because mom had a very perfectionistic view of how the tree was supposed to be decorated. It wasn't just about the tree, but this is the example that they, they remembered. And it really became tense and it was not fun at all for them. The other story that I have is my father-in-law was very rigid about a lot of things, particularly around his cooking, which was his skill and everybody loved his cooking. But at Thanksgiving, he had a particular menu that was to be served and it was based on his mother's menu. And I totally appreciated the tradition and the ritual of that. But when we got married and I joined them for Thanksgiving, I brought something to serve because that was what I thought was the right thing to do. And he refused to serve what I brought to share at the Thanksgiving table, which I thought, which, you know, red flag, warning, warning, warning. But I I, I thought to myself, okay, so... This is a way in which his rigidity will get in the way of us being able to connect. But those are just ways when you think about wanting to celebrate something. But remember that perfectionism is disconnecting. Just as we say, when you're worrying, it's really hard to be present for your children. When you are in that mode of perfectionism, it is also really hard to be present for the other people that are in your life. So many people are concerned about perfectionism in their children. They're seeing them, you know, being worried about getting straight A's or seeing them being worried and ripping up their picture when the, when it's not quite right or not playing soccer because they can't be the best. Let's talk about how perfectionism in a family and how perfectionism in parenting really can set the tone in your family and what you can do to get ahead of that.
1: It really hits the point home that emotional management from the parent, is just the foundation for really keeping the family healthy. It makes me think of the anxiety audit and what a critical tool it is for parents.
0: As I say so often, we can get caught up in the psychobabble of things and pathologizing things of worrying about what's wrong with our kids. And I really just want to simplify it. I really want to put it in language that says there are patterns that we get caught up in that we don't know that we're even doing it, that they are not uncommon at all, particularly after the year that we've just had. And it really is so important for us to take a step back, look at our own patterns, figure out how we're perhaps transmitting our own stress and anxiety to our kids and to figure out how to interrupt that. That's what the anxiety audit is about.
1: It's for parents to go through to really recognize those anxious patterns for themselves.
0: Right. You know, I meet with so many families and the parents that I talk to, love their children, adore their children, want the best for their children. And so they come in saying, I need to help my child. And sometimes the first step is really, how do you look at your own patterns so that you can help your child? Because a lot of what we do as parents comes from the most wonderful place. It's just that we all come into parenting, certainly with our own baggage, but also just with the remnants of what life throws at us. And it really is so important that we step back and look at our patterns so that we can do what we want for our kids. Right. And you can't even talk about this without the context of 2020 as well. Of course. How many parents would say, uh, yeah, no, everything went really smoothly. We went through 2020 being challenged to handle big emotions, having to adapt, feeling overwhelmed, sometimes even feeling panicky. And if we remember that anxiety wants certainty and comfort... 2020 was not that year. And maybe what 2020 did was sort of help you recognize patterns that had been around for a long time that now it's really okay for you to look at and for you to interrupt. So we have the recorded version, and then we also have this live event so that if you have questions, you will have access. So it'll be interactive, which is pretty cool, I think.
1: So you can do the anxiety audit on your own, or you can complete the workshop live with Lynn on March 6th. The first sold out, the second one will too
0: here's what I'd like you to do, parents. I'd like you to just think about where it is in your life that maybe that perfectionism shows up and think about it in terms of how you model that for your children, but also just think about how you're hard on yourself. Think about how it is that you set some standards for yourself. Is there any area in your life where maybe you can just let that go a little bit? Any place where you can maybe say, you know what, I'm, I'm allowed to give myself a little bit of room. I talk about the big sweet spot of parenting. It's not about doing things in a rigid, exact way. And see if there's some place where maybe, maybe you can let your kids load the dishwasher. I've talked about before how many fights people have about loading the dishwasher and unloading the dishwasher. Yeah, you
1: know, you're right. That's actually this contentious thing. And we had a listener write to us after the co-parenting episode saying, I will never think about loading the dishwasher in the
0: same way. (laughs) I didn't know that that was such a thing. Yeah, it really is a thing, the whole dishwasher thing. Think about where it is that maybe maybe you're going to just loosen up a little bit and do it for the benefit of your kids. You know, if they set the table and they put the forks on the wrong side, you don't have to walk over and put it on the other side. Just see if you can let them have more room and let you have more room internally as well. Perfectionism is a trap. It's a torture chamber. It makes you internally focused often, or when it makes you externally focused, it gets in the way of you connecting as the sergeant says in the classic movie stripes lighten up francis it's okay just give yourself a little bit of room it's going to be okay between today and
1: last week when we were talking about family silliness mm-hmm. you know and the idea of like just having ice cream sundays for dinner it's really on a meta level embracing the messy and looking mm-hmm. at messy in a different way yeah and maybe we had been programmed to really reject messiness. I guess embracing
0: messiness is all about embracing flexibility as well. If we look at the meta of messiness, maybe that should be the title of my next book, is that we're really just talking about all of the messiness that comes in relationships and figuring things out and learning and growing. It's just a bumpy ride and being able to allow ourselves to be okay with that. You know, it really, it really does help, especially during a time which we so, so desperately need to stay connected to one another. And the more we try and get rid of something, the more that we get on this rigid path of elimination and not allowing things to happen and keeping things in and hiding things and stuffing the closet full of all of our crap so that nobody sees what's going on. And the more our mental health suffers. This I know.
1: So join the Facebook group so that you
0: can ask Lynn your question on an upcoming episode. And thanks for joining us for another episode of Fluster Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn.
4: Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above,